Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Macy's workers, 400 of them in Washington State, strike on Black Friday. A message from the president of the Retail Workers Union. Shoppers, show some respect. And today on the show, one fair wage, what they are all about, and the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. Welcome to the Monday, November 27th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with an organization called One Fair Wage. Website is onefairwage.site, and that's site, S-I-T-E, onefairwage.site. And joining us will be Estefania Galvez, who serves as National Organizing Director. A little background on this group. It's a national organization trying to raise wages and improve working conditions in the service sector and end all sub-minimum wages in the United States. Now, if you're working in a restaurant, you get about, what is it, just under $3 an hour. That's the national minimum wage for restaurant workers, and you have to rely on tips. Some people do well. A lot of people do not. So One Fair Wage organizes workers, employers, and consumers to campaign for federal, state, and local policy to require all employers to pay a full, livable minimum wage with gratuities on top, lifting millions of tipped and sub-minimum wage workers out of poverty. And right now they have about 300,000 restaurant and service workers and about 3,000 employers in the country. And uh, here's some good news. Uh, Recently, there was a celebration in Washington, D.C., marking the one-year anniversary of the passage of Initiative 82. Now, what's Initiative 82? It's legislation which uh, was being implemented across the district, increasing earnings for tipped workers from the sub-minimum wage there, which was uh, $5.35 per hour, to the District of Columbia's full minimum wage of $17 plus tips. And this is uh, over a five-year period. So they're, uh, they're making progress in various parts of the country. And uh, this organization, by the way, they're based in Massachusetts. There's a campaign there that uh, Estefania is going to talk about. Also, they're working in New York, and apparently, I I guess they've made some progress in the city of Chicago, so it's a step-by-step approach, but uh, long overdue, long overdue. Greg Regan will be joining us later in the show on behalf of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO, ttd.org. Again, this is a collection of about three dozen unions in the transportation sector. One of the things we're going to delve into is the uh, California High-Speed Rail Authority, which oversees the largest high-speed rail project under construction in North America. Well, get this. They announced a groundbreaking agreement 
with 13 rail unions to utilize rail workers covered by federal railroad labor laws in critical jobs once once the trains begin to operate. This uh, Memorandum of Understanding, MOU, ensures that highly skilled rail workers will perform all traditional railroad work. We're talking operating the trains, engineering, maintenance of equipment, dispatching, onboard service, as well as clerical work. So certainly good news there. Meanwhile, we'll talk about rail safety. There was a really good report in ProPublica. This is a nonprofit uh, investigative news service. And they found they went over 111 court cases over 15 years about safety issues. And they interviewed hundreds of rail workers willing to talk. And they revealed in detail how the major freight railroads have put profits before safety, putting workers in communities at risk. And we've seen a series of accidents. East Palestine, Ohio is uh, become the poster child of uh, train derailments. There was another one the day before Thanksgiving in Kentucky. Yeah. Big fire. It was extinguished right on Thanksgiving Day. This happened in uh, Livingston, Kentucky, and about uh, 16 train cars were involved in the incident. And apparently uh, the cars, at least two of them, were carrying molten sulfur, (laughs) which... If it's, if it's on fire, it could be toxic to breathing. And uh, apparently they extinguished it. Right now, it seems that everybody's okay. But the governor there, Andy Bashir, declared a state of emergency nonetheless. So Greg's going to talk about that. The other issue, this is really scary. The transport workers, which are part of the TTD, are leading a coalition of more than two dozen unions seeking a federal crackdown on and regulation of driverless vehicles, especially robo-taxis. And this comes in the wake of fatal accidents involving those machines killing pedestrians. This has caught the attention of Nancy Pelosi, the former House Speaker, whose district encompasses San Francisco. And I'll tell you why. The union's letter to Pete Buttigieg, the head of the Transportation Department, came after an, a, a vehicle, an autonomous vehicle, a driverless robo-taxi manufactured by Cruise, which is a GM subsidiary, fatally hit a San Francisco pedestrian. The National uh, Highway Traffic and Safety Administration is investigating that death. John Samuelson is head of the uh, Transpoint Workers Union, and uh, he said driverless vehicles are a menace to society. These untested, unproven robots block traffic, hinder first responders and emergency services, and harm pedestrians and other road users with tragically fatal consequences. Scary stuff, but uh, that's the world we're headed into. So uh, Greg Regan on behalf of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO will be our second guest. Now a look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. 400 Macy's workers, this is in Washington State, went on strike Black Friday alleging unfair labor practices and the retailer's failure to reach a new union contract deal. Turns out back in October, 96% of the workers voted in favor 
of going on strike. In 2021 and last year, Macy's reported profits of over $1 billion. And the company, well, they spent $600 million on stock buybacks and paid out $173 million in dividends to shareholders. This was last year. Also, the union has criticized these profits and the CEO, Jeff Gannett's $11 million pay package as the company refuses to budge on wage increases. Asia Domingo worked at Macy's in Tukwila, Washington. That's a suburb right outside Seattle. Asia worked there for uh, 21 years. He said, we would like them to share some of those profits so we can have a livable wage. Macy's CEO gets 11 mil per year while a lot of his workers rely on food banks and some can't even afford to see doctors. Why? Because of the low wages and expensive health care. Starting pay at the most recent contract with Macy's was at or near Washington State's minimum wage, which goes up to sixteen twenty-eight an hour at the beginning of the year. Domingo said low pay has made it difficult to attract and retain workers while not properly compensating workers who have put in years of service with the company, resulting in chronic understaffing and higher workloads. He said, a lot of times on the floor, there will be one person covering everything, and that's hard. More and more people are having to take on more. We work long hours. Our job titles keep getting longer and longer, and Macy's isn't wanting to invest in their employees to keep them. The union, which is a UFCW Local 3000, went on strike on Black Friday in Tukwila, to kick off the strike, other workers represented by the union and community members also joined. Thousands of people have signed on to a petition supporting the workers' strike. Lisa Lewick, another longtime sales associate at Macy's, claimed she had been subjected to unfair labor practices. She said she was suspended for two weeks without pay last year after calling the police in response to an individual posing a safety threat at the store. She said workers shouldn't have to fear losing their jobs or being reprimanded for calling emergency services. Other unfair labor practice charges filed by the union include being prohibited by Macy's from speaking to workers in the workplace, surveillance of union members, and bargaining in bad faith. Lisa said we've had assaults in our stores. We've had shootings out in the parking lot when we have to walk to our cars with no consideration at all. She said that pay had lagged far behind inflation, even as Macy's has been immensely profitable, as executives have been paid multi-million dollar salaries, and as the company has put lots of money into publicity campaigns like the Thanksgiving Day Parade, which just about everybody watched on Thursday. This has all caught the attention of Stuart Applebaum, who is president of the Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. He uh, recently talked about the stress of retail workers, especially during the holiday season. He put it this way, the stress and pressure for retail workers during this season is exacerbated by the continuing rise of incidents of workplace violence. Incidents of harassment, violence, and hate are striking fear in workers already worried about their physical safety and mental health. He explained frustrated shoppers 
take out their anger over rising prices and short supplies of desired products on the workers who are not to blame when bosses jack up prices, most of them foreign flagged, often get marooned off West Coast ports waiting to unload their goods and slowing down the supply chain. Workers, said Stewart, are not to blame. And stores should provide security, safety protocols, and training to handle irate shoppers this season, as well as safe staffing levels. And shoppers, well, they need to treat workers with dignity and respect, period. The problem is even worse behind the scenes in the nation's warehouses, especially at Amazon. Its workers face inhumane quotas and unsafe working conditions. Every year at this time, said Applebaum, Amazon workers across the world are forced to work mandatory overtime at an often unattainable pace that results in injuries, often causing irreparable damage. Now, he didn't say so, but Amazon's on the injury rate is double that of other warehouses. It's been hit with many OSHA citations for unsafe working conditions, everything from falling crates to musculoskeletal injuries to being run over. Workers at Amazon's warehouses are pushed to the limits to meet unreasonable quotas from nameless and faceless algorithms and apps on their phones. Amazon must be held accountable for the health and safety needs of its employees and reduce its unbearable pace of work. Applebaum went on to say, They also have to stop union busting. The anti-worker campaign should give consumers pause before buying anything online from Amazon. Let's see if that happens, though. People love their prices, and they love it being delivered almost the day that they make the order. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, all about one fair wage. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Iron Workers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight iron worker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great iron worker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., U.S., Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. 
We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers. For more information, please visit BACweb.org. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at Lyuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org is their website. Let's go to line number one and welcome Estefania Galvez to the show. Estefania is the National Organizing Director for an organization called One Fair Wage. Website is onefairwage.site, and again, that's S-I-T-E, One Fair Wage, not site. This is a national organization seeking to raise wages and improve working conditions, which is something we talk about on the show every day. Estefania, now am I pronouncing your name correctly? Let's start right there. That's perfect, yes. Thank you so much for having me here today. Well, thanks for joining us today. Let's get a little familiar with you. Uh, I, I read a lot about your organization online, but uh, I understand you're from Columbia. You immigrated here and went to the University of Florida. Maybe you could talk about your uh, your journey to become National Organizing Director. Go ahead. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, I was born and raised in Columbia, and then I went to the University of South Florida um, and I started organizing as a student to end tuition hikes in colleges across America, but particularly the one I was in. And based on that, I became also involved with uh, racial organizing, particularly the Trayvon Martin uh, campaign down in Florida. And then I became a union worker, um, decided to move to New York City once AOC won, and I wanted to organize with people that knew how to uplift women of color like me. And uh, then I found myself doing work uh, in the restaurant industry. Then COVID hit, and that's when I did work with an organization called NICE, uh, doing recovery and relief for immigrant workers that then led to me doing um, this work with One Fair Wage where I am taking these 10 plus years of organizing and experience on, on grassroots organizing and as a worker uh, to really bring about change and centering a woman of color and fighting against the new Jim Crow. I understand too, you worked as a stagehand, so you were a member of uh, IATSE, the stagehand union, right? Yeah, I am still a dues-paying member of IATSE. Um, it's an amazing trade. It's an amazing um, union, uh, and it's it's my skill set. However, um, organizing and political power have been an incredible, inspiring source of a strength for me and something that I want to continue to expand and eventually to uh, bring to other unions because we also need to center women of color in our union work and all of our labor work. 
Let me ask you this before we get into one fair wage. You, you, you're a woman of color. You came to the, you immigrated from Colombia, and you know how, well, especially when it comes to the political sector, how immigrants are demonized in this country. And uh, I'm just wondering how, how difficult it was for you, with that being said, to adjust to working in the United States. Can you speak to that before we move on? Definitely. Everything is twice as hard. Everyone has higher expectations of you and wants to remunerate you for, with lower wages, lower respect. Um, it's, it's a really, really, really hard uh, experience, even when you are young and get to um, learn English and go to college, even if you have papers. Not only are you carrying um, the difficulties of your personal experience, but you're constantly carrying the difficulties of your community and the folks around you that perhaps don't have the same opportunities. And it's really hard because you're always carrying twice as much of the weight and expected to do twice as much of the labor for half or less than the, than, than, um, the value. And so... Being an immigrant uh, is definitely hard, and I certainly hope that in our lifetime we can be more kind and care more about each other, uh, particularly um, in terms of our expectations, and that we can create more harmony amongst all the people that, that we live in community with. Amen to that. Be kind and show some respect. I was just talking earlier about uh, conditions in the retail industry, especially during holidays. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the workers, you know, we obviously prices are higher this year Mm -hmm. than last. And and the workers are being blamed for the prices. It's ridiculous. It's not their fault, you know. And then people have short tempers. But uh, I want to talk about, let's get into one fair wage here because it's important. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of people that are not getting the wages that they deserve. Why don't you Mm -hmm. explain what this organization is is trying to do here, Estefania? Yeah, so we're a national organization uh, working on ending subminimum wages at the national level in different states towards ending the subminimum wage at the federal level. Subminimum wages actually are a legacy of slavery. Um, They were basically the wages that were given, like the no wages (laughs) that were given to women of color after um, slavery was erased. So the white counterparts and male counterparts would have minimum wages, uh, but a woman had to work for whatever goodness of the heart uh, the, the person they were serving would give them. So we are talking about New Jim Crow. We're talking about uh, the, the ending of slavery, but really like the creation of wage slavery and how it has been teared down into different subsectors, separating workers and creating um, competition across workers where there shouldn't be, where there is not subhumans, there is workers and they should be able to earn dignified wages. We don't believe that numbers are a good way to express how much a person should make money. 
um, or how a person should make money because the material circumstances in every state and every city are different and we believe that people deserve dignified wages. So the way that we are working towards a big vision and goal of ending um, the new Jim Crow and ending this disparity, this economic disparity, is through legislative campaigns that start ending some minimum wages, uh, whether it is for tipped workers, incarcerated workers, creating a fight against the National Restaurant Association, which is a multi-million dollar company that is destroying our communities, that is destroying our small businesses, that is destroying um, the sense of ownership that we can have over our lives, and, and taking that back and creating worker power so that workers can, can have dignified lives and at the same time ownership over um, their workplace. And so that is happening uh, across the country. We want to be able to build 25 uh, states that erase uh, some minimum wages. And there is already seven states that don't uh, have some minimum wages. Um, and we have D.C. and Chicago uh, in the last year uh, ended some minimum wages in their cities. So we are, we are trying to pass legislation, but we know that legislation is just a component of being able to empower workers and help workers, uh, give them the tools to be able to regain the power that they deserve in their, in their work lives. So what I'm hearing here, this sounds like a state-by-state state effort. Uh, it, it's not, you don't want a national minimum livable wage? Or, or you probably like to see that, but it, we definitely it has to want happen. that for sure. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, but you're but you're the, doing it state by state, right? Yeah, we want to like we really believe that if we can get about twenty five states, we can make a really strong case at the federal level to be able to change it. Now, what do you say to now? There's some states where wages are lower, especially in the South, mm-hmm. and many of them are right to work non union states. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's just harder to to organize down there because they're, they're right to work states. Um, but I'm wondering what kind of, what, what you, you've got to be getting some pushback on that right now, right? Well, it's really interesting because Florida is one of those states and Florida somehow now has a good wage for tip workers. So I, at this moment, I am really like the political moment and the political tie and how things are moving. It's, it's, it's very unpredictable. I think, um, I think we are focusing, of course, on states where we really believe that, historically speaking, these legislations uh, have won. Um, but workers all across the country, particularly in the South, are organizing themselves and like fighting back. And the, the high tension that is coming from the supremacy that we're seeing in the South is really like motivating a lot of organizing. And so... I'm not quite sure that I could say that it will never happen or that it won't happen uh, because workers are really, really surprising in this moment. You know, we're seeing, we're seeing so many people being motivated to fight um, and win, right? Like mm-hmm. people are not just aimlessly fighting. People are like fighting and winning everywhere. And so, um, yes, it is harder. And as someone that lives in Florida, organizing down areas, quite uh, challenging for many, many reasons. Um, but I really believe in the power of people and organized power. And I, I think that the moment that people decide that they want to do something 
um, with One for Wage, we, we, I'm sure we will be happy to work with them. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really am feeling that this political moment, we are in, in the beginning of the century where, like, we can really make so much happen. And I'm feeling really hopeful that we'll be able to, to fight back uh, in mm-hmm. the next couple of years and, and win a lot for workers. One step at a time. That's how it works. Estefania Galvez joining us on our live line right now. She is National Organizing Director for One Fair Wage. Again, the website, onefairwage.site, S-I-T-E. We'll continue with her later in the show. Greg Regan will be joining us on behalf of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form and a Local 50 representative will call to begin the process. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. The Alliance for American Manufacturing is a nonprofit, nonpartisan partnership formed back in 2007 by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers. Their mission is simple strengthen American manufacturing and create new private sector jobs through smart public policies. Keyword there is smart. We need to be smarter than ever in today's highly competitive world. The Alliance for American Manufacturing believes that an innovative and growing manufacturing base is vital to America's economic and national security, as well as providing good jobs for future generations. Good jobs today, good jobs tomorrow. Good American jobs. Find out more at AmericanManufacturing.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. 
Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, today is known as Cyber Monday. That's when you can get on your computer and get some pretty good deals and i'm going to throw you an idea and hopefully you'll take advantage of this the 2023 made in america holiday gift guide came out about a week and a half ago it's the 10th edition of the annual guide featuring more than 200 american-made gift ideas from all 50 states washington dc and puerto rico and this time they've included brand new picks with some of the old favorites so do check them out one of our partners here on America's Workforce, Alliance for American Manufacturing, which is affiliated with the uh, United Steelworkers, AmericanManufacturing.org for the 2023 Made in America Holiday Gift Guide. A lot of people want products made in America, and they say, well, I don't know. Well, how do I find them? Well, guess what? It's right there. It's right there. Let's go back to our live line and rejoin Estefania Galviz, who is a national organizing director for One Fair Wage, and uh, they've had some wins here. They're basically trying to raise wages, especially for those in retail and restaurants. And uh, you have this uh, sub-minimum wage. It could be a couple bucks an hour. I believe in Washington, D.C. it was over $5 an hour, but they want to raise it. And if, if you want to give somebody a tip, that's fine, too. But there's a lot of people that, I tell you, especially with inflationary times, Again, they take it out on the workers. Well, this meal costs so much, you're not going to get you're not going to get fifteen or twenty percent. We'll give you a couple of bucks. That's that's what happened. That's the reality of it. So let's talk about this campaign. You you're you're doing this state by state. Let's focus. I know you're based in Massachusetts. You have a campaign for a living wage there. Can you fill us in on where it stands right now? Yes. So in Massachusetts, we just collected over uh, 75,000 signatures to put uh, ending sub-minimum wages in the ballot in 2024. Uh, We're in the process of getting our certification. Uh, this will be happening in the probably the next week where we'll get certified to be on the ballot next year. Um, the, the weight of the Massachusetts uh, legislation works is that after you have gotten the amount of signatures you need, you your ballot becomes a law, and then the the legislature could pass it. Um, and we are we are really working hard to push uh, legislatures uh, legislators in Massachusetts to do the right thing to not wait. The time is now to give workers what they deserve, and we're saying. We believe that the legislature in MA in Massachusetts can make change happen, and we really want them to take the opportunity this coming session to pass this um, before it has to go on the ballot. However, if the legislature does not decide to do that, we're willing to go all the way to the ballot, and we have seen this issue when every time it has been in the ballot, um, it has really high support even when we did the signature gathering it was the number one leading issue for signature gathering uh for for everyone so um we are really hopeful and positive that we are gonna we have in our hands a winning campaign the difference is going to be who is going to make it win is it going to have to be people demanding and begging 
that it passed or would be finally that the people that represent us can make decisions that are the correct decisions for the people they are representing. So I have to ask you, especially in Massachusetts, which is a pretty pro-union state, are you getting any help from from unions? I, I know SEIU, the service employees, have been engaged in some of these campaigns. Are they helping you on this effort? Yeah, we have support from SEIU in, in Massachusetts. Um, also, there are a lot of unions that are doing their own ballot campaigns for themselves. So I think that another thing that should be happening in this coming uh, semester should be that all of us figure out how we can support each other and create a solidarity people's agenda moving forward. Uh, but uh, yeah, SEIU has always been a really big supporter and we are... Um, we are always uh, happy and welcoming of other organizations and other um, unions to, to do work with us. We're thinking about doing some trainings and, and some uh, organizing schools with some of them. Okay, let's talk about New York. And I understand, and this is, I, I guess this is in correspondence to Chicago. Chicago, you've had some, some good traction there. New York, eh, not the case. What, what's going on there? Yeah, New York, we we had a really good year last year. We pushed a lot. Um, the, there is one, a legislative campaign is so different than a ballot campaign. So we have been really working with our bill sponsors, particularly Jessica Gonzalez-Rojas, who has been such an incredible uh, assembly member champion for this bill. And um, we are growing our, our list of support and, and in the legislature, um, the the difficulty with New York has been the relationships to um, to people just continuing to think that the money should be paid by the customer and not by the restaurant owner, and people continuing to think that this small businesses don't want this when we have high like we have clearly seen that small businesses have had to start paying higher wages to be able to stay open uh, because there is low staffing uh, people don't want to stay out of the workplace and so um, the the New York uh, legislature we really think that this year uh, we have a chance also one of the big problems we've had with the legislature here and in, I think that this is something that happens elsewhere, too, is that people say things like, you can only pass one labor uh, bill in the session, which is incredibly disrespectful to say that legislatures cannot pass more than one labor um, one labor law a year. That's incredible. They get paid so much money. We need them to do more. And so this year we're going all in to say we need more and we need to stop leaving behind restaurant workers. We need to stop saying that they were essential workers, that we cared about them through COVID. When we know that through COVID, they were the ones that got left out from being able to have unemployment benefits because their wages did not match. We know that they were the first ones to get sick from COVID. And we know that one out of three people say that they know someone in the restaurant industry that died because of COVID. And so they were essential workers, they were frontline workers, and they have gotten nothing, nothing, nothing post-COVID to demonstrate that they are, their work is dignified. And so we're saying this year we're done with the idea that, that politics cannot do more than one thing at a time. We're done with the idea 
that restaurant workers, particularly in the epicenter of COVID, cannot get a raise. And we're done with the idea that we need to wait our turn. We have been waiting our turn for a hundred years or more. We say our turn is now. We say the restaurant industry needs this right now. And we we are ready to fight tooth and nail to, to win this this year in New York. Well, you got a lot of fight in you. I appreciate you joining us here on the show. Estefania Galvez, who is the National Organizing Director for One Fair Wage. Again, the uh, website is onefairwage.site, S-I-T-E. Uh, I can't believe that comment. So they said, okay, just oh, if, if you're going to pass some legislation here, we're, oh, there's only one union-backed bill. Any, just at a time. We can't, we can't add any more. I can't believe it. It's like, why well, I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. It's almost the same kind of a, same kind of a situation it's, it's, there. Yeah. It's unacceptable. Unacceptable. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're ready for 2024. I, I know you're, you, you gave us a lot of information on the show. You've had some serious progress here, but, it, and especially now, with all the union activity, uh, we we saw some strikes. We saw some threatened strikes, like the Teamsters, and we have a lot of people that are making more money because they rose to the occasion, much like one fair wage. So it sounds like we should keep in touch in the new year. Can we do that? Absolutely, and honestly, all of the solidarity and wins of the union movement keep us moving too, and keep me strong, and keep me hopeful. And we are going to do this, all of us together, not leaving anyone behind. All right. You stay in touch, stay safe, and stay strong. Estefania Galvez on our live line. We're going to take a quick break. Greg Regan on behalf of the Transportation Trades Department right after this. This is America's Workforce. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union 
at insulators.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to line number two. Welcome a longtime contributor to America's Workforce. That would be uh, Greg Regan, president of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. Once again, a collection of over three dozen unions, all dealing with transportation, whether it's on, on the ground or in the air. Greg Regan, welcome back to uh, America's Workforce. And I'd like to uh, start off with, I guess, another train derailment. Here we are. <laughs> Uh, just about a month and a half away from uh, East Palestine's first year anniversary, which uh, which has become pretty much, I said this earlier, the poster child of uh, train derailments. But we had one the day before Thanksgiving in uh, Kentucky. It sounds to me, I'm sure you could chime in, that we're not making very much progress on this issue, are we? No, unfortunately, we're not. And, um, you know, I think that the administration and the Federal Railroad Administration are, are doing what they can within the limits of, of their own regulatory powers to try to, to make some, some real reforms here. But we need legislation. We need Congress to, to, to actually uh, pass meaningful rail safety legislation. And so far, it's been stalled out. I saw you were commented in this report by ProPublica, which came out about two weeks ago. They, they went over uh, 111 court cases over 15 years. And the bottom line is the, the railroads, <laughs> they, don't, they don't care about safety. It's profits over people. And, and the communities are getting hurt here. Now, we have some legislation. Where do we stand with that right now, Greg? Yeah, there's, um, there is the... The Rail Safety Act that is that is led by Senator Brown and Senator J.D. Vance from Ohio, and this was uh, introduced in response to East Palestine. Um, it's not perfect, I want to be clear there, but it would make a lot of really important reforms that would improve safety in the in freight railroading. And from what we understand, there's about 58 or 59 senators that have committed to support the legislation, uh, but in the Senate, you need 60. So, you know, one of the things we've been calling for now is put it on the floor, you know, make them vote and, I, you know, show, show the American people where these senators stand on this important issue. Uh, and if there are, you know, two or three or more senators, particularly on the right, uh, Republican senators who want to vote against it, uh, then make them be on the record and do so. Because at this point, um, we need to find out where people stand and actually improving this, uh, what is a dangerous uh, but vital system in our country. So, so what's the problem? I mean, why can't we get one or maybe two more senators? What are, what are they saying about this legislation? 
Uh, you know, I, I think that there's the railroad lobby itself has gotten in there and said, you know, this is going to be uh, too onerous on us. Um, I think, you know, one of the issues, there's always the issues of, uh, of certifications for certain employees. There's the crew size uh, aspect of this legislation. The railroads have always fought us on. Um, and, you know, again, I don't think those are compelling arguments for the, for the public. The ones that are working in the back halls in Congress are not the ones that are going to be palatable to voters in this country. And that's why we think we need to have a vote and uh, see where people are going to, where, where they fall on us. Now, we, okay, say, say eventually this is going to pass in the Senate. This has to go to the House. And we know there's a lot of disarray in the House. Do you think there's, there's any possibility of, of that happening? I think it puts a lot more pressure on the House to, to really act. I mean, at this point, the uh, Republican-controlled House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee has not even had a hearing on rail safety uh, in the nearly 11 months since uh, East Palestine happened. There is legislation. There are several pieces of legislation in the House that have been introduced uh, that have bipartisan support. And we want to, you know, continue to, to, to try to build momentum to getting that passed. And I think... Once the Senate can pass something, especially on a bipartisan basis, which it would have to be, I think it puts a lot more pressure on the House where, you know, now the ball is in their court. They have to do something. Here. Yeah, yeah. Well, this just shows you how strong the rail lobby is, even it, despite accidents. And there's there's accidents almost every day with trains. They just don't get the publicity like East Palestine, Ohio. Uh, fortunately, mm-hmm. I guess the one in, in Kentucky, it, it was serious. I guess there was, what, sulfur? And but they yeah. they contained it so but but nonetheless something's got to be done. Let's move on to uh, something positive here. This is the California High Speed Rail Authority, which has uh, apparently an agreement with thirteen rail unions. Can you explain what's going on here, Greg? Yeah, sure. This is um, you know the California High Speed Rail Authority, and this project has been going on for for quite a while now, and it's always enjoyed the support of organized labor. Um, you know, this is the largest project labor agreement in the country, and, and frankly, in the history of project labor agreement at California High Speed Rail. And I've been out there and visited the, the construction site, and it is impressive to see uh, the work that's gone in and what the possibilities are for having a true high-speed rail system all the way up and down the, uh, California. Um, but what this memorandum of understanding, what this agreement does, is it ensures that once we get past the building phase and into the operating phase, that all of the work that's being done is going to be done by union railroad workers. And most importantly, it'll be done by uh, workers who are covered by the important aspects of the Railway Labor Act, railroad retirement, railroad disability, um, all of those important things that make railroad jobs, uh, especially on the passenger side, such you know career jobs, ones that you can uh, build a, a real life and, and you know, send your kids to college, do all those American dream things. Uh, on the backs of what are really good jobs in this country. I'm reading from your website here. Phase one of the uh, project will cover 500 miles run service from San San Francisco to the Los Angeles basin in under three hours. That's that's pretty good. And when it's all complete, it will stretch 800 miles extending to Sacramento and San Diego. And we're talking zero emission trains will be 100% powered by renewable energy, and they'll be going about 200 miles per hour. Sounds exciting. Sounds real exciting. All right, one more here, and uh, this is scary. Driverless vehicles. Now, apparently, there was an accident uh, with a robo-taxi 
in California, a fatal accident, which is calling the attention of, uh, obviously, the Transportation Trades Department, specifically the Transport Workers Union. So uh, this sounds like... Um, this sounds like something that needs some hearings in Washington. What's what's going on here? Yeah, well, look, I think there's been a real push by the autonomous vehicle uh, industry to, to try to get more and more testing, more and more operations out on, you know, real live roads with people uh, where there's construction sites going on, um, where there's other commercial vehicles operating. And... You know, frankly, I don't think we're ready for it. And, and the accidents you've seen here have shown that technology isn't, isn't ready for, for uh, to be out there operating where there's, you know, real life happening. Um, and this isn't a closed track. There are unpredictability, you know, within our streets. And what we're calling for really is we want to see a strong federal framework for how to oversee this, the deployment of this technology into uh, our communities. And that hasn't really happened yet. I mean, under the Trump administration, their approach was really, uh, you know, regulation based on waivers. Essentially, how do we get this stuff out there as quickly as possible without consideration toward um, both safety concerns, but also, you know, longer term economic concerns that we have about, about autonomous vehicles. And, you know, we're calling on the administration to really put their stamp on sort of how uh, the federal government should oversee this technology and how it can safely be deployed uh, into the marketplace. And, you know, the one thing you'll notice about the letter that we sent uh, last week or two weeks ago, it's not just transportation unions or the ones who are driving who, who would be affected by this. We also have construction unions. We have firefighters. We have first responders. Um, because, you know, a lot of the incidents that happen with these vehicles where something goes wrong, they don't result in fatalities. They don't result in major accidents. But they're drifting for example, into construction sites. They're putting people at risk in their workplace that aren't, you know, there aren't drivers, they're not operators, or their jobs aren't directly threatened by uh, this stuff, but they're threatening their workplace safety because there aren't proper regulations in place to ensure that this is being done and tested the right way. Um, and frankly, states are acting. Uh, states are using their own uh, legislation to figure out how to do this safely, but you know, having a patchwork of regulations across the country doesn't, isn't effective. We need strong federal leadership here. Uh, and we're looking for a really good partner in this administration. I think they've said a lot of the right things, uh, but we think it's now, you know, there's an urgency now that uh, we need to see something stronger. Yeah, we got to turn that talk into action. Right now, 27 transportation labor groups are, are demanding action on this, so hopefully that'll be coming Greg, thank you so much. Keep up, keep up the great work. We'll talk to you in a month. Okay, brother. Okay. Thank you. All right. That'll be it for another edition of America's workforce tomorrow. Our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger and labors international in the upper Midwest. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe. So you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.